So we have something here to manual called the Declutter Club. Are you familiar with that, the Declutter Club? Anybody in the, the, the Declutter Club? Anybody, a few of you? So, so there's a number of people, and they get together uh, fairly regularly, and they talk about uh, how to organize, how to get rid of the, the junk, the clutter, the stuff in your life that, that gets, gets in the way. And they, they talk about making decisions on what to keep and what, what to get rid of, asking questions like, uh, does it add beauty to my, to my life? Is, is, it, is it lovely? Is it, is it good? Is it helpful? Uh, do I need this? Have I used it in the past? So I think really they just meet so they can, uh, you know, eat, but, you know, that's what we all do in the church, and it's a good thing. But what if we were all in the, in the declutter club? I mean, wouldn't that be a good thing? Wouldn't you like to get rid of some of the junk in your life? I mean, wouldn't you like to get rid of some of the stuff? Wouldn't you like to make it more simple? Oh, wouldn't it be a, a liberating feeling not to have all that trash and garbage all over the place? And I'm not talking about physical stuff, am I? I'm talking about the garbage we drag with us wherever we go. Now, the stuff we drag to church on Sunday. The stuff that you drag to work tomorrow, the stuff that really begins to stink after a while. You ever had fish or chicken at, at home and you put it in the garbage, maybe uh, in, the, in the trash can under the sink or in the kitchen, and that smell just kind of pervades and it makes the whole house stink, doesn't it? And it isn't until you finally take it out to the curb when you take the trash out that you get rid of that stink entirely. Well, today, as we look at the words of St. Paul, he has, he has a way for us to take that trash out of our lives, and to get rid of it once and for all, so that when we come to the Lord's Supper, as we're going to do later on, we can be imitators of God, we can be children of God, and we can make a fragrant offering to the Lord. That's going to be our goal. But just like in the, declutter, in the declutter club, you have to have a plan. You have to start somewhere. So that's what we're going to do. We are going to start on the inside. Paul writes, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Now, you would think that this would not be true of Christians, but I personally know a whole lot of people, a whole lot of Christians, uh, who evidently have a lot of bitterness in their life. Now, how do I know that? How do I know that there are Christians that have bitterness in their life? Because I'm on Facebook. <laughs> and I see it. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed. And just about all of my friends are Christians. Certainly on Facebook, most of them are Christians. And this junk they write about, the stuff that's in their heart, the, the vitriol is just amazing to me. So there's got to be some Christians out there that have bitterness. I remember um, hearing Paul Harvey years ago. Any, any Paul Harvey fans? Yeah, when I was, when I was a kid uh, growing up, listened to Paul Harvey when I was working construction in the summers. Every lunch break, we would... We would Listen to Paul Harvey. So I remember a story Paul once told uh, about a woman. Uh, she was calling into this hotline. There was a, a medical student. He was working at this toxicology uh, lab, and, 
And so there was a hotline. They would get all kinds of calls from people uh, about things. And so the, the woman calls in. It's a mother. And she, she tells the, the person who answers the phone that, that she has a little daughter. And the daughter has eaten some ants. And what should she do? She's eaten some ants. Should, should she take the daughter to the hospital? And the caller says, no, you know, yeah, it sounds kind of gross, but, but ants really aren't harmful if you eat them. In fact, they're a delicacy someplace, right? And they're, they're full of protein, so that's good. Don't worry about it. It'll be okay. So at the end of the conversation, when she's about to hang up, uh, the mother then just mentions, well, uh, what about the uh, ant poison that I gave to my daughter to kill the ants? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe you better take her to the hospital after all, right? Well, I'm here to tell you today that anger bottled up inside is as harmful to our soul, to our spirit, as ant poison is to your body. It's incredibly dangerous. In fact, it can literally eat you up from the inside out. It can kill you. So here we have all these these otherwise good people, good Christian folk, who are consumed with bitterness and anger. Now, there's really only one or two things you can do with anger. A lot of people will explode, and that's one way to get rid of it, and that's not necessarily a bad idea. It's just depending on, on where you explode and who's there when you explode and what you do when you explode. I, I do a lot of pre-marriage counseling, so couples get together uh, with me before they get married. And we do this little inventory. It's got all kinds of questions. And from it, then, there's, there's nine characteristics of their relationship that are evaluated. And one of them is communication, and another closely related is conflict resolution. Conflict resolution. Because everyone has conflict, especially in a close relationship, especially with your spouse or your spouse-to-be. So if they score an 8 or a 9 or a 10 out of 10 then we don't usually spend a lot of time on that. But if it's lower, then I give them an exercise at home to try and resolve the conflict. One thing that I often tell them to do if they have anger issues is whenever they're angry at their spouse, they should go outside and simply kick the tires of their car because it's a lot better than kicking your spouse, right? Or your dog or your cat. It's one way to get rid of it. So you can't explode if it's, if it's inside of you, not the healthiest thing, but far better than keeping it inside. Psychiatrists and psychologists tell us that depression, not, not every kind of depression, but some kinds of depression, are literally caused because we have bottled up all of this anger inside of us. Uh, there are people who will go to a psychologist and and they'll tell them, you know, I, I cry all the time. I'm sad all the time. I'm, I'm depressed. I'm blue. I don't know what's going on. And the psychologist will simply ask them, who is it that you're angry at? And they're like, what? And when they identify who that person is and what they're angry about, so often that anger can dissipate. So what we want to do today to begin as we look inside of our cells, We need to understand that our inner condition determines the way that we respond to the rest of our life. Especially if you have bitterness, you need to examine what the cause of it is. And that's what we're going to do. 
What I want you to do now, first part of the exercise, is find that piece of paper and a pen. You might have to share. If you don't have paper, you can still get some. Or you can write together uh, with your family members. Share your pen. What I want you to do is I want you to examine your life. It could be this week. It, it could be this month. It could be this year. Some of you, and I don't know who you are, but I know that there are some people who still have all kinds of resentment and bitterness toward their parents. Something that happened when you were a young child. And that person may, may even be dead. And yet, you need to write it down. Take a moment now, if, there's, if there is a person or ever has been a person, or people, or an organization, maybe even the government, I don't know who it is, maybe even the church, maybe even your pastor, I hope not, but maybe even him, that you're angry with, that has hurt you in some way, where there is a wound, where there is pain. And I want you to write it down. Write down both the person or persons and the circumstances around that anger and bitterness. So I'm going to take a moment as well to do that. Now, as Christians, we are not generally navel-gazers, so that means we don't just continually look inside, but it is important. We need to do some inspection from time to time, but then we need to move on from that, and that's what we're going to do. So we begin looking on the inside, but then we also need to look on the outside. And what I'm talking about here (coughs) is our relationships, especially with the people that are closest to us. So Paul writes, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. In our gospel for today, Jesus said, this is how the whole world's going to know that you're a Christian, that you're a disciple, that you're a follower of me, by how you love one another. And so, how we treat other people is a hallmark of Christianity. But it doesn't start there. It begins, of course, with God's love to us. All we have to do is look at the cross and we know just how much God loved us. He gave up his only son. He became human. He suffered in our place. He had the nails through his hands and his feet. The crown of thorns on his head. The lashes from the Roman soldiers. The mocking and the insults. And on top of all of that, he has our sin as well. So we understand just how much God loves us. But it's what we do in response. We gather together as we have here this morning. And we raise our praises to God. We give our offerings. We use our talents, our abilities to serve as a part of that team that Laura told the children about. But the thing that the world sees, because they don't see what's going on in here, They don't see our praise. They don't see our worship. They don't necessarily see us 
serving all the time, but what they do see is how we treat others. The kindness that we have for other people. And what we know is that kindness is contagious. I want to tell you a little story this morning. Uh, Who's heard of Albert Schweitzer? Albert Schweitzer, okay, (coughs) grew up uh, in Germany, was born on the the French-German border, uh, went to school, very high intellect, gifted in music, and wanted to be a doctor, so he does. He goes to medical school, and he becomes a doctor. But he's also a Christian, and as he studies in Sunday school, he comes across a passage, this one that we had today, the words of Jesus, about loving one another. And so he decides that he's going to use his medical training as a missionary. And so immediately he and his wife, they go to Africa, and they build this hospital. And there they, they treat all of these people otherwise would never get any treatment and would most likely die. However, all of this takes a whole lot of money, which he doesn't have. So he's constantly going back to Europe and to the United States to raise money. So on one particular trip, he's actually going through Chicago, back in the days where most of the travel is by train. And so he's on the train platform, surrounded by a bunch of reporters, because he's a famous guy. And all of a sudden, he leaves them, and he walks over to this lady. She has all kinds of luggage. You know what it's like trying to carry your luggage on an airplane and you've got all these boxes and suitcases? Well, it's even harder on a train. So he takes her luggage and he asks her, you know, which car she's in. She points and then she leads the way. And he takes all that luggage and he carries it all the way to the train car, up the steps to her particular suite there, and deposits all of her luggage. And then he comes back. What do you think's happened to all the reporters? They're gone. They're all looking for a lady so they can carry luggage too. Because kindness is contagious. But that's not the end of the story. Now I know you were hoping it was, but it's not. So, in his autobiography, he gives the reason why he does this. Remember, he has a hospital in Africa. And there are trains there as well, and you have to get from one place to another. So one day, standing there on the train platform in Africa, in the scorching hot African sun, and there is a man, a crippled individual, someone that Dr. Schweitzer had treated, but he's still crippled. And he offers to carry all the baggage of the doctor. This man who is crippled and has no luggage of his own because he literally has no possessions is willing even in that state of being broken physically he'll carry all the luggage of the doctor. And from that time on, Dr. Schweitzer vowed that on any train platform, when he would see someone that needed their luggage carried, he would be the one to do it. The fact is that we are kind and compassionate 
to others simply in response. Not so much of what others have done for us, but what our Lord and Savior has done for us. And that goes beyond just being compassionate, but all the way to forgiveness. So this is the second thing that we're going to do. Again, take out your paper. Take out your pen. Again, think back to this week, to this year, to your life. If there are relationships that are broken, that need to be repaired, write down the name of that individual or of those individuals. And again, write down the circumstances that caused your relationship to be fractured or damaged. Now, there's some of you who are saying, well, I really can't think of anything. I don't have any broken relationship. Then think back or think now to the relationship that you have that you would like to see improved. Where could it be better? And with whom would you choose? Write down those names. So, so far we we started by looking inside, identifying where our bitterness, our anger may be coming from. We looked outward to our human relationships. But of course, as people of God, we will always look upward. As we end or sometimes as we begin the decluttering of our lives. And so again, Paul writes, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I'm going to get a quick drink of water here. Let me ask you a little bit about the geography of Jerusalem and that holy city. In a couple of weeks, it's Palm Sunday. And what happens on Palm Sunday? Anybody, what happens? Jesus comes into Jerusalem, right? He's hailed as the king. You know that the terrain of Jerusalem, there's an elevation. So you literally do go up to the holy city. So Jesus is going to go up into Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built on on a mountain, Mount Zion, same mountain where where Abraham, uh, Mount Moriah, uh, was sacrificing or was attempting to sacrifice his son Isaac. So out the rest of Holy Week, as we come to that, uh, Thursday there is the Garden of Gethsemane. You have to go across a valley, and then you go up a hill again to uh, the Mount of Olives. This, this valley is called Hinnom. And 
we get from that the mountain of Golgotha on Friday, uh, the place of the skull. It's a, it's a rock outcropping. There in this valley is where all the garbage of the city was dumped. And there's a lot of garbage, especially uh, during the Passover. Hundreds of thousands of pilgrims are coming to the city. And the, the garbage all gets dumped there in the valley, and often they would light it on fire in order to dispose of it. Now think of the symbolism. On Friday, Golgotha, and Jesus goes to the cross, and there he puts to death the sins of the entire world, all the garbage, all the trash, all the stuff, all the hurts, all the wounds, all of that is put to death so that you and I can have forgiveness and healing. Jesus takes on the weight, all the stench of our sin so we can be liberated, so we can be free. So our relationship, not only with other humans, but with God, can be united once again. It's no coincidence that this is where the suffering and death of our Savior takes place. And so the answer then to any harmonious relationship with our spouse, with our children, with our parents, with our co-workers, with our friends, is always to imitate Christ, which means forgiveness. As we have been forgiven, as we have been loved, as God has shown us grace and kindness, then out of response to the love of God, we do the same for our neighbor, for our friend, for our spouse, for our co-worker. Now I'm going to make a confession today that I think I've only confessed once or twice, uh, maybe in the 15 years that I've been here. So most of you probably have not heard this before, maybe a few of you. When I was growing up, and especially in my teens, I had a lot of anger in my life. I had a lot of rage. I got in fights constantly. Part of it was with, with my brothers because we were very competitive, but it also boiled over to school. And I went to my pastor, uh, Pastor Lambert Mayle, and this is what he said to me. He said, It is no sin to have a temper, only to go on having it. Let me repeat that. He said, it's no sin to have a temper, or it's no sin to have a temper, only to go on having it. And then he said, the best way to lose a temper is to lose it in God. Now, I was, at the time... I'd been confirmed in the Lutheran church, gone to the church all my life. I was going to a Lutheran high school. I was studying uh, eventually to become a Lutheran teacher and and eventually a pastor. So I I knew all this stuff. And yet I I had this, this anger inside of me, and I would always be fighting. And then one day, I want to tell you a little story. Here's a confession. Uh, I was probably 16 years old, and in Blackburn, Missouri, every wedding reception was at the Legion Hall. And so uh, at the Legion Hall, there would be lots of alcohol, lots of drinking. And 
underage people drank just as much as those who were of age. Up to this point, I had not yet discovered the evils of alcohol, but I did this day. Because, not that I was drinking, but there was another young man about my age. And I knew, I knew him vaguely. He, he went to uh, another high school who was a rival of ours. And I was about to leave. I was going home. I was heading out with my twin brother uh, to our truck. And we were going to take the short trip back to the farm. After all, there was dancing at this particular reception, and I didn't dance. If you've seen me up here, you know I don't dance. And so we were leaving, and this guy comes up, and he starts yelling at me, and yelling at both of us. And he's, he's yelling all kinds of crude things uh, about our high school, and I'd heard all this before and it didn't bother me. And then he started yelling all kinds of things about Lutherans. Evidently, he was Catholic. So anyways, he's yelling all kinds of things. That doesn't bother me either. I've heard all of that. But then he starts yelling about my mother. Ooh, exactly. And so this anger came over me. And I'm going to crush this guy. I'm bigger than him. I'm stronger than him. He's just a wimpy little guy. And so I took him and I threw him in the parking lot across his car. And then I went after him. And in my rage, I probably not only would have hurt him, but I could have killed him. And then the words of my pastor came back to me as they do sometimes. It's no sin to have a temper, only to keep having it. And the best way to lose a temper is to lose it in God. And I remembered then who I was and who I was studying to be and this peace then came over me. Unfortunately, the other guy was really mad by now. <laughs> and he beat the crap out of me. And I took it. The worst part about it was I had borrowed a white shirt from my, from my roommate at school. <laughs> it's hard to get all that blood out. <laughs> the point being... There comes a time in our life when not only our inner righteousness but our outer witness need to match. And that was the time for me. Thankfully, I haven't had much of a temper since then. Maybe every now and again. God is in us. His strength, his forgiveness, his peace. And we can, as his people, live that witness for others. I want you now, and I'm going to have the ushers come up and move the cross over here. I want you to think about, again, any unresolved hurt 
or wounds, any grievances that you have, any relationship that you didn't write down before, anything that is on your conscience, anything that you would like to get rid of once and for all, to write it down on that piece of paper. And then, because this is garbage, this is trash, and it's not meant to be kept in here or in here, It's meant to be placed in the garbage dump at Golgotha, at the foot of the cross, where its stench, its putrefaction, is all going to remain. So take that, take all the sins and the weight and the pain, that anyone in your family has and put it all together in that garbage bag. And again, because this is trash, don't fold it neatly. Wad it all up. And then when you come forward for communion, as you come down the center aisle, place this exactly where it needs to be. Dump it at the foot of the cross. There was a little girl when she said the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to do this later on, and you might think of this. We know that phrase, to forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive the trespasses of others. Well, little kids don't always get it exactly right. And so she said, forgive us our trash bags. (laughs) as we forgive the trash bags of others. In the church, there's a lot of trash, a lot of hurts, a lot of wounds. Sometimes people put trash in your bags. Sometimes we put it in others. But today we're going to dump it all here at the foot of the cross, and then... As we do that, as we get rid of it all, we will come here to the Lord's Supper where we will receive the body and the blood of our Savior. Paul wrote about the fragrant offering that we should give up to the Lord. It's a reminder of the incense that was burned in the temple. You know the sweetest smell to our Lord? It's not your offering of money. It's not your offering even of your service to him, your gifts and talents and abilities. The sweetest offering to the Lord is when you forgive one another, when you love one another, when you are kind and compassionate to each other. And so you're going to dump all the trash, receive the Lord's Supper, And that's going to be your fragrant offering to the Lord. May God grant not only forgiveness and compassion this day, but every day as you go forward as the people of God. And the world will know that we are Christians, that we are disciples by our love and our forgiveness. Amen? Amen.
Today, for our profession of faith, instead of uh, all saying the Apostles' Creed together, we're going to hear from a couple uh, of our upcoming confirmands. I think we have Lauren Pyre and Emily Rudzinski. So if you want to come up uh, in any particular order, or if you want to...